0: Them for the glory of God. So today I'll be reading from Acts chapter 2, verses 36 through 41. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added to that day about 3,000 souls. This is the word of God for his people.
1: Responding to what God has said is something that uh, is both natural and normal and I think as we read through the book of Acts or maybe even as some of you experience right now, a bit of a surprise. How can something that seems so natural and normal be also at the same time surprising? The people that heard Peter preach this very first sermon, I'm sure, went down to the temple area not really expecting anything different that day. No, it was just one more day. We're going down to the temple to do what, you know, you do at the temple. Not knowing that it was at that moment that the Holy Spirit was going to come upon the disciples and that the Holy Spirit was going to empower Peter and the rest of them to proclaim the good news about Jesus Christ. And even if the people had known all of that was going to happen. I don't think they would have fully been able to prepare themselves to respond the way that they are about to respond. There is something about the activity of God and then our response to that activity that is um, natural and normal and yet simultaneously supernatural. I think that's why not just Drew But anybody has a hard time explaining exactly how the Holy Spirit comes on people and exactly how the Holy Spirit works in the hearts and in the minds of people. And today I get the privilege of continuing right where Drew left off and asking some very important questions that, particularly as God's people today in 2018, how do we hear a message that is so old and yet appropriately? respond I mean you guys knew that you were going to come to church today and you knew that there would be an opportunity for you to gather around and to remember the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus you knew there would be a a time where we would sing in response to all that God is, you you knew that there would be an opening up of God's word and God's word would be proclaimed and yet I I, I bet the majority of us just, just got ready this morning woke up showered, some of us, shaved, some of us, got appropriately dressed, some of us, <laughs> and we just make our way to church. That's what we do. It's Sunday morning. And, and yet there is in this moment an opportunity for us to hear God's word spoken And the same words that Peter preached will be spoken and the same spirit that not only indwelled Peter and the rest of the disciples, but yet in a very real and profound way, then entered into and convicted and motivated and empowered a response. Because this morning, what I desire is not for me to just say something rather clever and insightful and then that triggers something in your mind and then you do what is just natural and normal because you've thought it through and I've carefully tried to articulate what the gospel is and so this is like a, a conversation, a meeting of the minds or a meeting of, of, of like souls. No, what we're actually doing is we're, we're, we're sitting in a moment Where God's eternal word is being spoken and God's spirit, which John 16 says, that the Holy Spirit comes and it convicts people of sin and of righteousness and of the judgment to come. And I believe that same spirit does that to us today, right now, here. And so our text this morning is from Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 36, where Drew left off. It's gonna go all the way down through to 41 as we see this amazing response to the gospel and the title for the message is Perfectly Responding to the Gospel. Now, What, what does it mean to, to respond perfectly to the gospel? Now, I need you to hear this. What I'm not insinuating at all is that you will make yourselves perfect and then respond perfectly. I don't even mean that to respond perfectly doesn't mean or it, 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 to respond perfectly does not mean that you have everything figured out, that you know God in his fullness or that you know yourself in your brokenness fully and now you're ready. You're, you're fully ready. Um, we, we've been talking about having a special baptismal service next Sunday night. And, and I've had a lot of conversations over the last few weeks. And we've been challenging you to kind of rethink your your, your baptism, your conversion, and asking if that lines up with the way Scripture describes it. And there is this natural tendency in all of us to to wonder, did I do it? We maybe not think the word perfect. Did I do it right? Did I really know what I was doing? Did Did I know what I was doing? For me, it was in November of 1981. I was 12. Did I, did I, at that moment when I publicly declared my allegiance to Jesus Christ and was united with him in baptism, did I understand what I was doing? Like, did I really get it? And, and these people here, at least 3,000 that are added, did they, did they really get it? And, and we're going to go through and we're going to kind of ans- ask and then answer this question what is Peter doing by the power of the Spirit? What are the people doing by the power of the Spirit? Because they are responding to these three things. The first one is this that what was actually happening is something that God had promised from the very beginning. That everything that we hear seeing in the book of Acts is something that God is working towards, that, that God is um, uh, thought through, and that God is intentionally involved in our activity. So even though you might not be fully ready this morning, the truth is is that God is not showing up into our room kind of trying to figure out where to go from here. All of this fits according to his promise. The second thing is that when the good news or the gospel, that's the same phrase. The gospel literally means the good news. The good news that Jesus Christ died in our place for our sins and established a kingdom where he is king. And you and I have been invited to To live in the privilege, in the privilege of of his kingdom. That's what the gospel is all about and that's good news. And that when the gospel is spoken, is described, is explained to people, that there is an expected response. The gospel expects a response. So I I don't know if you came this morning ready to give a response, but at some level this morning, I, I pray that you do. That as you and I get to hear, and I've heard the gospel lots, I've I've even preached it a lot. But I'm I'm not able to sidestep the fact that I'm not just preaching this morning, but I'm also hearing. And as I talk about the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ, that the Holy Spirit also resides in me and is responding to me. That as I speak about a story that you've heard, And maybe even that you've already responded to that you recognize the depth of who God is and the depth of who you are and the gap between those two actually call for an ongoing response to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then lastly, that the gospel itself, the good news of God's plan of salvation through Jesus and that kingdom that he establishes is the truest picture, the the most accurate representation of God's kindness, of his grace, and of his mercy. This is one that really hit me. The more that I went back, it's, 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 it's what's good about having others have an opportunity to preach where I get to sit and listen. Because somehow, with, with Ryan and Drew preaching just over the last few weeks, I was really drawn into something that I don't know if I'd ever really noticed before, but that as we see this story being retold from Acts chapter 2, that what Peter focuses in on is is not like, God's going to get you. You guys better figure it out. God's going to get you. Although he doesn't deny that the judgment is coming. He doesn't deny that obviously response is needed. He's going to say things like, save yourselves. But that it is all revolving around, if you listen to the, the story of this amazing message, it is just him describing over and over and over again, like God's kindness to us. It really makes me wonder where did we get this picture of God where he is so quick to be angry, so quick to judge, so judgmental, so harsh? Because Bible, the Bible describes like his unending love and his richness and mercy and kindness. I, I, I don't think you really get that picture of God from a good representation of reading his word. No, I, I think maybe that as preachers or as witness bearers, we kind of focus on the judgment of God. And on the one hand, I don't want to try to deny it. I don't have a, a book describing somehow that love is gonna magically win. But what I, what I do want to make sure we emphasize the way that Peter emphasizes is that, yes, God's judgment is out there, and he is righteous. And let's just stop for a moment and look at the extent to which God will go and the extent to which God will bless. He is just so kind. First thing, that the gospel was actually promised by God look at verse 39 of our text Peter wants the the Jewish people who have long thought about the promises of God whose story begins when their great 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 grandfather Abram was in a distant land and God said to him Abram I'm going to call you out of this land I'm going to take you to a land I'm going to give you a land I'm going to make you into a great nation and this this blessing this promise is for you and ultimately it's going to go all the way to the ends of the earth through you And so the Jewish people knew how to to look for and to long for the promises of God. And and Peter at that moment is, is trying to help his audience recognize that there is something not just generically miraculous that's happening. I think so often where you and I get into trouble is we can sometimes look at what God has done for us, the kindness of God. We could look at our lives, the circumstances of our lives, and we can just think how somehow we got here. If you were to ask me, Jim, tell me about how you came to faith. I would probably start with my parents living in Halifax, Nova Scotia in about 1960, heard the gospel presented to them, did not grow up in Christian homes, heard the gospel presented to them, and they believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then I grew up in a Christian family. That's kind of how I tell the story. Mom and dad heard the gospel. They decided to to follow it. And so I just grew up going to church. I don't know anything other than church. And I'm so grateful that mom and dad made that decision because that created a wake that then I would fill in. I would be a part of And I'm just so grateful for the influence of my mom and dad. All of that is true. It's just that the older I get, the more that I realize that I wasn't just living in the wake of their decision. Like, I I had my own issues that I needed to deal with. I had my own sin that I needed to work through. Like, I, I couldn't just, I couldn't just, like, go to church and just piggyback off of my parents' faith, but I needed to make a decision myself. I needed to look and see, like, if my name was in God's plan and purpose That I I couldn't just, and and by the way, the Bible actually warns this. John the Baptist warns, do not say, speaking to a Jewish audience, do not say that we have Abraham as our pass in. Don't just claim that because you were um, born and raised in the Bible belt that somehow, don't just believe that because your grandmother was this godly person. Don't just trust. The Bible warns against such um, presumption. That there is this promise of God that has been given. And and, in part, I'm so grateful for what my mom and dad did. And the foundation that they laid. But then there came a moment in my life. If it were that simple. there, There became, and there will continue to be, series of moments in my life. Where I have to stop and reflect and see God's hand from the beginning, to me. I didn't, I didn't just stumble into that family. And, 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 I, and I don't just have the faith of my mother and my father. But I, have, I actually have a faith that is like richer and deeper, that, that somehow includes them, but is not, in some ways, it's not really about them. It's about the God of them. And I think sometimes we can become isolated or inoculated from the fact that God's promise has woven its way from the garden and from the brokenness of our first parents, Adam and Eve, and it has gone through history and it has gone through series and seasons of unfaithfulness and rebellion against him, that somehow God's kindness, and faithfulness went through untold generations in my own family. See, that's why my parents' conversion isn't everything, because my my parents' conversion, although a part of God's plan and promise that I'm so grateful for, didn't save me. I needed to hear the truth about who Jesus Christ was and respond So Peter says, for this promise is for you, and it's for your children, and it's for all who are far off. I love seeing like my name in the Bible. That's one of those spots. That this promise that was given to Abram is for those who are far off. Even, are you ready for this? Stillwater, Oklahoma. And contrary to some people's opinion, Norman, Oklahoma. Okay? <laughs> Tuscaloosa, there's lots of different Austin, there's lots of surprising places that they got Canada, there's some surprising places that the gospel goes. And all of this is not left up to human decisions. It's not just, I mean, I I want you to, to hear that so that you come to your own understanding where it doesn't isolate you from the faith of your family. It just helps you understand how the faith of your family or for maybe some of you in this room, like you're like my parents. You don't come from a faithful family, but you're going to, by the grace of God, establish one. That that's all part of God's promise. Like you didn't fall into that. You didn't trip into that. That's his plan. That's his promise everyone whom the Lord, our God, calls to himself. (laughs) Now, by the way, we, we could spend like a whole lot of time talking about how that works, right? We have different deep theological traditions that talk about how God calls people to himself outside the scope of our time this morning. But here's one thing that that all these different theological positions about God's predestined plan and how God works out his salvation in our lives, here's the one thing that I believe everyone agrees upon is that it comes about through the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that it comes about by the power of the Holy Spirit in the lives of those who hear and respond. Now, how all of that works out, I think appropriately, much like Drew had a hard time explaining the Holy Spirit last week, I can't explain exactly how this works. I do know this, though, that you are here and that I am preaching the good news of Jesus Christ and that the Holy Spirit exists and is real and is working right now, I believe, right now in the hearts of every one of us. Therefore, therefore, God's promise continues. Look at verse 38 of our text. Talking about this amazing promise that God gives, what is this promise? The the question that is being responded to here is what do we need to do to be saved? Peter says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. And what does this promise include? Listen, Listen to this for the forgiveness of your sins. And then, not only that, but then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That is God's promise. God looks back into the garden. God looks forward into our own lives and future generations should he tarry. And yet, what does he decide? I will continue to offer the reality of not just who I am in my splendor and in my righteousness, but in my mercy and in my kindness. I will continue to extend to future generations, maybe in part through the decisions that you make, And let's be honest, in a room of this size, in spite of some of the decisions that you'll make. This is how the gospel works, is that the truth about Jesus Christ is proclaimed and that truth is a promise. You know how I know Christmas is gonna happen? Because God promised. And you know how how I know that Jesus Christ is gonna come back And he's going to take me to him because he promised. That's why what we are experiencing as we read the text describing the first time that this kind of gospel message has been proclaimed and the amazing response, this isn't like it's not a psychological thing, it's not a sociological thing, although it has psychological and sociological ramifications, it is a spiritual thing that holds all of human history together. And God, in his kindness, says, today is the day. And the response is expected. Look at verse 37 of our text. And now when they heard this, what did they hear? They heard this message. I think verse 36 is a very interesting way to end a sermon. And God has made this Jesus, the one that I've been preaching about, this Jesus, the one that you crucified, both Lord and Christ. You think about that. That this audience that believed that when the Messiah come, would come, that they would love the Messiah and respond to the Messiah, and the Messiah would, would, would usher in this new kingdom and this new age, but their understanding was wrong. But God didn't go off of their understanding. He went according to his promise. And so God allowed them to crucify his son. That somehow that was all according to God's plan and God's purpose. And yet, so God could see beyond their rebellion. God could see beyond their mistakes. Anybody else need to hear that word this morning? God could see beyond the number of times you've said no to the gospel. That God in his mercy can see beyond the mistakes that you are yet to mistakes the sins that you are yet to wrestle with and fail in and by his grace weep over. And God has made this Jesus, both Lord and Christ. (laughs) See, the, the message does this amazing job of focusing on God. Let's never forget what he focuses on. He focuses on God and God's plan and God's promise. But he never, he never denies just human brokenness and the human mess. It, it seems like what Peter does and what so many of the, of, the, of the writers do, maybe every single one of them, but I didn't go back and look at that this week, every single one of them describes just our need for God and God's kindness to us in Jesus. Our sinfulness and God's response with Jesus Christ. Like our rebellion against God and God's loving kindness to us even though we've rebelled against him. Which is an amazing thing that when we come to church, what you and I get to do is go through a certain degree of, 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 of understanding ourselves better, of understanding our brokenness better. We don't try to run from the truth. We don't try to somehow change our story or our narrative. No, we, we all get that we are all broken and fallen. But God never allows the story to end there. The story doesn't end with, and Adam and Eve ate the fruit, and God said, Well, then, good riddance. But He reaches down and He says to them in the garden, First words of God, Where are you? And I don't think He's talking geographically. I think He is, and and He's not confused as to where they are. He speaks the truth to them Where are you? What have you done? he's not asking for for his sake, because he knows. Hey, Adam, hey, Eve, are you capable right now of speaking the truth about what you've done? The sin that now exists in your lives that wasn't there not long ago. Are you able to deal with your own sinfulness and your own rebellion? Think about it. This audience had no idea what they were getting into, But by the time Peter is done preaching, he has essentially convicted them that the Messiah came and we murdered him. Well, that's a change for our plans for the day. (laughs) I wasn't wasn't ready for this. Like if you were to ask me, I, I I never knowingly did that. Like what is God going to do in light of that? What is his response going to be? But but at this moment, like right now, they're just deeply convicted. What does verse 37 say? And now when they heard this, the truth that they had crucified the Messiah, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and to the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Somehow the, the, the charade and the game was, was, was exposed. And now all of a sudden, these large number of people who came there not expecting to be so deeply convicted by the spirit's work through the proclamation of the gospel. Now, all of a sudden, everything is different. I mean, I I, I think I'd be shocked if anyone thought, Hey, let's go down to the temple today and have our lives completely rearranged. And and before you think, well, how, why didn't they know that? Why weren't they expecting that? How many of you were expecting that this morning? Any of you just kind of wake up this morning and go, "Huh, I wonder if my life my life is going to be completely turned upside down by the preaching of God's word and celebrating Him." Um, I, I wonder if my life will never be the same again in light of Jesus. Or how many of you just decided to go to church? See, they're they're literally they're cut to the heart. And they, they recognized in light of the fact of who they were, in light of the fact of what they've done, but more than that, in light of the fact that what God had done. Brothers, what must we do? I have become so, so keenly convinced that, that the, the, the way that I want you to see my life and my family is... Um, you know, as, as, as transparent as I want to be, there's like, there's two versions of all of us, right? There's the, and, uh, and, there, and by the way, they're, they're just the cutest little things. I mean, um, I loved all your pictures because first day of school. Let's get a picture of this, first day of school. Um, I wish you had like getting ready for the first day of school pictures on Facebook. Because I doubt if they're as cute as them standing on the front steps right? Smile! This is going on Facebook. <laughs> There's those two versions, right? And and Jesus, Jesus is needed in both. It's, it's interesting, for those pictures, it's like we have to tell people to smile. Why? Because it's, it's, I don't know if it's, they say it's easier to smile than it is to frown, but I think it might just be easier to do nothing. And here, there is this ability to respond. And they're cut to the heart. My, my big prayer for us this morning, actually, is that somehow you'd be able to feel this text. That somehow you'd be able to, to resonate with both of these things simultaneously, and they're, they're not equal things, but one of them is like your need for God, your need for Jesus, your need for peace with him. And that's in light of and in spite of all of your rebellion against him and all of your brokenness. And then the bigger piece if our, Sometimes I think we need to get a sense like our sin is so big and is so damning and that our brokenness is so firmly entrenched in my, my personality and, and it, like it's, it's, it's like my skin. And yet greater still is God's grace. Like greater still is his love for me. Like greater still is his promise to me and his purpose for me. Like, greater still. If you ask me what I'm very aware of, it is the depravity of Jim Johnson. Very aware of it. Like, I don't need you to remind me of it. And and it's interesting that in this text, over and over and over again, Peter doesn't spend all of his time going, You know, God's going to get you, He's going to get all of you. He killed his son and he's looking for you. It's not the text. The text is that the Messiah has come and you killed him. This was all part of God's plan. And there's a hope and a purpose. Like there's so much hope in this text. Now here's the interesting part because it seems like it's that hope that creates the response. I know what it's like to try to scare people into decisions for Jesus There was a whole movement back in the 70s where where Christian people would go door to door and their question they would ask, are you ready for this? Is this, if you were to die today, do you know where you would go? Hi, my name's Jim. I'm from the church down the road. I have been formally trained and I'm here to ask you, if you were to die right now, if I were to kill you, Or if you were to drive a bus and the bus were to explode, do you know what would happen to you? I mean, I'm still trying to think about who came up with this idea. Like maybe you could go, it was the 70s, right? Everyone was already kind of in a weird state anyway. But if I had a guy knock on my door and say, hey... If you were to die today, do you know what would happen I mean, as much as I can understand where he's coming from, and that's a really important question, and I get it, boy, that's a far cry from we really need to be need to be friends with our neighbors, right? In order to win them over to Jesus. What what Peter does is he helps them see, and, and this is by the way, is the focus of the gospel. It is why we, we can sometimes preach too much about our own brokenness, because we, we're, we don't know if, if people really appreciate the goodness of God. And so I, I wanna try to make you as dark as it can be. That's why our conversion stories are always, well, this guy here, he used to be Adolf Hitler, and, then, and, and now look at the change in his life, right? Because it's hard to say, this is like the sweetest lady ever. And she finally came to an understanding of her brokenness. It's like, oh, whatever. She's already sweet. What did Jesus do for her? We, we want these like dramatic experiences. But I had to come to grips with the fact that even though I grew up in a strong Christian family, that I was by my nature, according to the Bible, an object of God's wrath. And he chose to die for me anyway. It's interesting that in in our text, you'll see in verse 40, chapter 2, verse 40, look at this. Peter actually says after, um, the text says, and he went on with a whole bunch of more words. He told them they must save themselves from this crooked generation. I think it's interesting that uh, we, we love to talk about what we need to do to be saved and that whole concept of save yourselves. You need to save yourself. See, this really does show us both God's kindness and yet the need for a response. Well, how do I save myself? For many of us, we're just still gonna try to to be good enough that God will be kind to us. That really is more of a plan than than most of us want to admit. And I I really see where that actually meets, like at your funeral. When I get an opportunity to preach your funeral, And I'm talking to your parents. Guess what they tell me? Here's here's what I've never heard. Well, you know, she was a terrible person. She really was. She was just wicked. But God was so kind to her and gracious to her. He saved her anyway. I never hear that. I hear this. She was awesome. She was amazing. She was the nicest, kindest, sweetest mom in the universe. Like, Jim, your mom was terrible compared to my mom. She was awesome. That's usually what we get. So many of us still think, hey, what I need to do, not as a response to the gospel, but to kind of help God with the gospel is I'm going to save myself from doing good things. No, no, no. When you look at the text, when Peter says save himself, it is a repent, (laughs) repent and be baptized, repent and be connected to God's plan through Jesus Christ. That's what you need to do. That's what you need to focus on. That's what you need to be interested in. You need to get that like God's kindness comes is the fact that you can't save yourself except for appealing to him and his kindness. It's God, please don't send me to hell. It's God, please, in light of your love for me, I so desire for that incredible blessing To be given to me too. The one that was for my children and for those who are far off. God, I want to be included. Can I be included in that too? That's the response. And not only that, look at Acts 2 verse 41. And those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. See, this is when the work of the Spirit in Peter... And the gospel that he preaches connects with the work of the Spirit in his audience and they receive the word. And that's, by the way, what's happening right now. Is that as I accurately tell the good news of Jesus Christ that he came to die in our place for our sins to establish a kingdom where he is king. And then there's this invitation. Do you choose, do you desire since God so clearly loves you, in light of what He has done, do you desire to be blessed in Jesus like that? I'm reminded of Acts, or of uh, of Romans chapter two verse four. As I, I went back and I looked at this, it, it really isn't one of those hellfire and brimstone sermons. Which they're not; those aren't bad messages. I mean, it's it is part of the story, but. But Paul actually says this. He says, now, I know that some of you, this is what's going on in Romans 2. I know that some of you just decide to kind of stay in your sin. You kind of look at God's grace or God's kindness and you decide, well, I'm just gonna play in sin a little more. But Paul actually says something's broken with that. Look at what he says. Romans chapter two, verse four. He says this, or do you, not, or do you presume upon the riches of his kindness and his forbearance and patience, meaning that you have no desire to really change or repent? Do you not know that God's kindness to you, that God's patience with you is actually designed by him to lead you to repentance? See, most most of us look at at parents that are soft because they don't discipline their kids like they should and we just go, oh, they're gonna walk all over you. I've thought about this a lot. I'm, I'm so quick to look at parents that just don't seem to discipline like they should I often wonder, I wonder, what, I wonder what I would think of God and just how patient he is and how kind he is. And sadly enough, I, I have not shared enough of his goodness and his kindness that this text makes so clear. God sent his son into the world to establish a kingdom and so they killed him. What did he do? Is this like... Is, is this is this one of those Denzel Washington where he just goes off? No, actually, he um, he persists in his kindness. Softy? No, he's not soft. He's gracious. He is full of mercy. Ephesians chapter two puts it this way, beginning in verse four. But God, being rich in mercy, Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses. There's a truth about you. Made us alive together with Christ. There's a truth about some of you. Because by grace you have been saved. That's the truth about God. And raised up with him and seated seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Why? So that in the coming ages, God might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness to us through Jesus Christ so the fact that I am now a part of that kingdom the fact that I have now been now been added into that number of people who are followers of Jesus is a demonstration of his kindness this is why by the way kindness is also a fruit of the spirit because if God is kind to me and I repent of my lack of kindness, I, I, my, my selfish living, and now all of a sudden I've been changed by the kindness of God, it should be demonstrated in a kindness towards everybody else. This is why, for those of you that struggle with like mean spiritedness and you, you just everything's a fight, I don't think you know God's kindness. Like, well, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. Just who he is. Paul writes to Titus near the end of his life and the beginning of Titus's ministry. He wants Titus to, to kind of live in, in light of this same message and Titus is going to spend a lot of time in a very difficult place where there's a lot of broken people who have not responded to the gospel. And Paul's instruction is not, well, you need to let them know that those people there are terrible people and God's gonna get them. No, this is the message that Paul gives Titus, that Paul experienced himself. But when the goodness, this is Titus chapter three, verses four and five. But when the goodness and the loving kindness of God, God our savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, like we weren't able to save ourselves by being good, somehow winning over God's heart, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. Like Titus, this is how people come to faith in Jesus Christ. Because I need you to know that the Spirit is at work not only in the proclamation of the gospel, but the Spirit is at work in their own hearts and in their own lives. And when the word is preached and the word is received, miraculous things happen. And people walk away changed. And not just once. The goodness of God and the promise of God and the response to the gospel and God's kindness, all those things are ongoing. So I didn't, when I was 12, take care of the situation. I didn't at 12 respond to God. This is one of the major problems that we can have is that, oh yeah, I responded to God years ago. Well, that might be a problem, actually, Because the good news of the gospel continues to be proclaimed. Like this morning, my heart for you, my prayer for you as a staff, our prayer for you as an eldership, our prayer for you is that you would hear yet once again the truth about yourself. You are a broken person. And apart from God's love and favor for you, You will never experience peace with God. Apart from his love for you, you will never experience peace with God. You'll never experience peace with with others the way that God ultimately intends. That's the truth about you. But the truth about God is that he loves you anyway. And the truth about God is, is that through Jesus Christ, you can experience Peace.